All right, if you have a Bible, go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, 1st Epistle, General of Simon of Peter, Simon Peter, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter in your New Testament. After Paul's writings, uh, we believe that there's more than enough evidence that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. It's got his stamp all over it. And that's a whole different thing, but we're going to look at 1 Peter. Now, the book of 1 Peter was written somewhere between 60 to 64 AD is a safe understanding. The reason that's important is it's not going to be as late as 68 AD because of the death of Nero. Now, tradition says that uh, Peter was martyred under Nero. And when you follow through the book of Acts, you know that he was alive through chapter 11. He uh, was alive in chapter 12. God does the prison break, you know, that's 44 AD. Uh, he's at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. That's around 51 AD. Uh, Paul says he's in Antioch when he writes Galatians 2 about their encounter in the early 50s or 52, 53 AD. So it's around that time. And the reason that's important is it fits in with the other books of the time. But it also shows how God has brought Simon Peter along. And the Simon Peter that we learn about in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find that God has been bringing him along and been uh, strengthening him. You know, for me, Simon Peter is a, is a great example because he is, he is part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And not only is he part of that inner circle, and by the way, there has to be an inner circle all the time. It's just the way of life. It's that way in the military. It's that way in business. It's that way in coaching. It's that way in anything that has to do with people. And so God always has these different ones. I mean, uh, back in, in the book of Genesis, you know, uh, he had Abraham, and then he had Isaac, then he had Jacob, and he picked Joseph out and gave him uh, some some dreams, basically, prophecies. And so all through it, then he brought in Moses and he gave him Aaron and Miriam to help. And you, you always have this, you always have it. So Peter was one of those three. And yet God chose to record some of the more human elements of Simon Peter. And by the way, <laughs> if you can't appreciate Simon Peter, I don't know if you can appreciate anybody because that man had a lot of courage. He had a lot of character. And he also had the ability to be corrected. Simon Peter wouldn't be where he is at the time of the writing of this, this letter to people if he hadn't. Now, there's a couple of things in a way of introduction we always try to look at. One, of course, is the object of this epistle. And that is that he's writing it, chapter 1, verse 1, if you look at it, chapter 1, verse 1. He's writing it to these strangers, he calls them. Now, He's, they're not strange as in strange, they're strangers. So strangers in your Bible are anyone, number one, from somewhere else, but anyone outside of the set up system of Israel. Now you could be a proselyte and convert to it, but here he's obviously writing to people that weren't, and that would be us as Gentiles, Okay. So when he writes to them, he's writing to us. Now, there's some things about your Bible. One is all scripture is not written to you, 
but it is all written for you. You know it's not all written to you because if you went over to the book of Leviticus, is one of my main examples I like to think of. If you, if you went to it and started reading it and said, well, this book is to me, you'd have a problem because you'd be out sacrificing animals and trying to keep all this stuff. Instead of going over to the book of Hebrews, and by the way, Hebrews is the classic for both New Testament Christian Gentiles and New Testament Christian Hebrews because it deals with the once saved doctrine. You can't, you're not supposed to get born again again. And I know that's another whole subject, but you're not supposed to get born again again. You're supposed to get right with God, amen. And there's plenty of a need for that, always in our life, but also uh, when, in pe when people go away from God. Now, Simon Peter's theme, you know, his object is to the strangers. So you could literally say he's included us. For example, for going, look at 1 Peter 2 and verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Now in your Bible, pay attention to those words like the word as, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The picture is someone from somewhere else and someone going somewhere else. They're a stranger from somewhere else. They're a pilgrim. They're on a journey. They're not wandering. They're not just you know, wandering around, that's us. Once we get saved, we are a stranger to this world. We're peculiar, he writes later. And we're a pilgrim, we're on our way home to heaven. We know where we're going. And so he said, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. When we get to there, we'll talk about that application. But the basic idea is you gotta watch your surroundings when you travel. And in this world, you better watch your surroundings. And keep your life, and your, it's called your conversation in 1 Peter 2.12, keep your life clean and abstain from these fleshly lusts which war against your own soul. Amen. Now the theme is suffering. Uh, he, he mentions the word suffering or sufferings 15 times in these five chapters. Uh, you say, well, it could be a warning for the future. For this, it was. He makes reference to Christ's sufferings. He does it in chapter one and two and three and four and five. Uh, he makes reference to the Christian suffering. He said, "I, for example, Galatians 2.28, I am crucified with Christ, okay? So what Peter does is Peter is using what he has, his knowledge and his influence to fulfill what he told him to do. In Luke chapter 22, the Lord told him that when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Luke 22, verse 32. So he does that. He said, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And we know the great passage, John 21, three times he tells him to feed. Feed his sheep, feed his lambs, feed his sheep. So this book comes out of that. This book is the result of a letter. Now, just a little bit... You know, you probably, most of you know this, but the, it says the first epistle general of Peter. It is an epistle. It's, it's, it's a letter. And 99% of the time in your Bible, they're letters that someone spoke and then people copied it down for them. We would call it today transcribing. Very similar to something that you would say uh, someone Took it down, say, with stenography, for example. They might have taken it stenographically. But when he says that holy men of God spake in another spot, as they're moved of the Holy Ghost, uh, 
Second, uh, Second Peter one twenty one. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So ninety percent of it was spoken and then written down, as if it was, as if we recorded it nowadays and transcribed it. I've had been in situations where part of my responsibility was to take things that were recorded and transcribe them and then go through visually and edit them and and take some highlights out and we would build radio programs. So this is what we've got. We've got this epistle that he sent out. So when we come to this thing, uh, 1 Thessalonians, for example, which was written by Paul, was written around 54 AD. Romans, around 60 AD, okay? And this is around 60 to 62. So these are times when God is revealing his doctrine and his teachings to people. But this one has a lot to do with sufferings. And so God is preparing them for life. For example, chapter one, verse one, verse six, rather. Let's start in verse chapter one, verse six, okay? Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, if God deems it so, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Manifold is a great word, many fold, several, many temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found on a praise and honor and glory when? At the appearing of Jesus Christ. So he immediately is going to teach us about living for our time when we'll meet Christ. Okay? That's totally different than just trying to live for this life and find out some good thing in this life. We did the thing recently on Romans 8, 28, okay? And Romans 8, 28 is way more than God just working stuff out for our good. It's for his kingdom's good and for his glory. All right, so before we start the book, just make a note of this. There's seven precious things in this book, this epistle. 1 Peter 1, 7, we looked at it. He said that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold. So fiery trials are precious. Look at verse 19 of chapter one. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ. Now, I promise you this, not because I'm trying to hide anything from you because I've had the, the Greek language and the Hebrew language, all that kind of stuff, been through it. There are so many riches in what God gave us in your English Bible. This word precious, you go look it up and you, you, you can put the app on your phone, your computer, etc. Uh, of great value, much esteemed. It comes from, from a, the, all the, many of these words in our English are from Latin roots. It comes from the word price, of like precious price, great price. So this precious blood of a lamb. Look at uh, chapter two, verse four. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but of God, chosen of God, watch, and precious, and precious. Chapter two, verse six, down a couple verses. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Look at chapter three. Come on over to chapter three for a minute. Look at verse uh, four. 
But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Look, of great price. In other words, precious. It's of great price. And so when we go through these things, look at, well, the two epistles, you know, kind of go hand in hand. Second Peter 1, verse 1. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that obtained, look, like precious faith. Isn't that amazing what we have in Christ? Uh, verse 4, 2 Peter 1, 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and what? Precious promises. I trust you look at your Bible and you look at what God wrote and gave you as being, these are precious things these promises, these words. Now, <clears throat> you know, Paul and Peter did cross paths and they also kind of crossed swords, as we say, in Galatians chapter two. And it's very possible that some of Paul's own converts, okay, are gonna be reading this and God's gonna use this as a supplement to what Paul has laid down for them, okay? And if you were gonna outline the book, I'll give this to you real quick. This is just an outline of the book. Chapter one, I've called it Salvation Begins Our Sojourn. Salvation Begins Our Sojourn. Chapter two is Submission Bridles Our Sojourn. Submission Bridles Our Sojourn. Chapter three, Subjection Blesses Our Sojourn. I don't know if you picked up on this word sojourn. Sojourn is a cool word. You know what it's got in it. It's got the word journey in it. So our sojourn is our, basically, you know, they talk about life as a journey. It is, it's our sojourn, but we know where we're going. We know where this path leads out. So chapter four says that suffering burdens our sojourn. And then chapter five, shepherds bid our sojourn. We need shepherds. We need God-chosen shepherds. I have a discussion over a meal today with some fellas. And we were just talking, you know, about churches and small groups and all that. And whatever you do is your business. That's fine, wherever you're at in this world. But I'm telling you, if you'll read your Bible cover to cover, there's no replacement for shepherds that are appointed by God to help people's sojourn. I, one time, this is years ago, in the outback of Australia, way out, driving along, and I saw at a distance this huge flock of sheep. They call them a mob over there. I mean, huge. It wasn't just like one guy's sheep. And they were moving very slowly, but they were obviously being held in, and moving. They're held in a group moving. And I looked over there, and you could see a couple guys on motorcycles barely moving, about the pace of someone walking. And off ahead of them, because it was near, nearing sundown, off ahead of them was like a real small camper-looking thing that if you looked at the back of it from this, you could tell that it was the chuck wagon. It was the portable kitchen. And I kept making signals until the guy would came over. And he came over, and I said, what are you all doing? He said, oh, mate, we're moving this mob of sheep down to South Australia to sell them at the market. I said, that is hundreds, it's thousands of miles away. He goes, yeah. He said, it'll take us about seven or eight months. And he said, but in the meantime, they're gonna 
this is a stock trail and it's open to, to people moving livestock and we're going to feed them on it and fatten them up because we bought them in not too good a shape way out in the outback. And he said, we can only go a couple miles a day or a few miles, whatever. And he said, that otherwise it's too much for him. And I was like, man, they've got all these animals going in that same direction. It took shepherds to do it. Shepherds to do it. All right, so let's begin that chapter one, we called it Salvation Begins Our Sojourn. Okay? So in this idea is that when you get saved, you started a journey, okay? When you got saved, you started a journey. And that journey is going to be something that is going to take us eventually to heaven, all right? Now, in the meantime, though, we got a journey. A sojourn is, is it's like a trip. It's, for example, it's to dwell for a time, or to live in a place ready as a temporary resident, or even as a stranger, and to not consider it as a permanent habitation. So it says in Genesis 12 that Abraham did what? Abraham sojourned, okay? That's a picture of us. We're sojourning. And so when you and I, in our life, when we get saved, it starts this journey. And so as you begin to think about that, it starts forming a whole new way of thinking about this life. Now, Peter starts off and he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, it's a pretty large land area, okay? And he said scattered. Now, scattered means that there's a few of them all over the place. Do you know that what God does is he scatters believers. Now he doesn't scatter them as in split a church up, okay, and all that. But it says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So <clears throat> he was sowing them as a seed, you might say. So yes, God brings us all together. And yes, God build the congregation. And no, he's not in the tearing up a congregation business. But he'll use us wherever he puts us. That's important. Now, it's not hypocrisy for Simon Peter to say, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's not. You know, <clears throat> if you pretend to have something you don't have, that's hypocrisy. But to deny what you do have would be hypocrisy, and he had a calling of God. We know when he writes Second Peter, if you look over that, a couple pages in your Bible, when you look up Second Peter, he starts off Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He reminds them that. Maybe someone had said, oh, you just think you're an apostle, but that's not what happened. So as he's writing to this large area, the impressive thing to me is how God, I, I can, how God formed his thinking. I can literally see myself I, in my mind's eye. I can see Simon Peter, maybe in a little room or, uh, you know, 
out under a little awning on a small little place in his travels. And one of his fellow travelers, one of his helpers, assistants, is taking down what he's saying. And Simon Peter could have even I walk, been walking around. I picture the Apostle Paul this way, sort of pacing a little bit. I don't know about you, but that's what I'd be doing. And so he says this greeting, and he says, continues to say it, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, let me say this. When you and I enter into this word elect, I'm just going to say this real quick, because it is a study on itself out of Romans 9 and Romans 11. But I think we have to stop here for a minute and say, if you will underline the statement, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, it solves everything. Okay? Like, for example, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to, you know, as, as God's elect, as he, he is the means whereby God chose. Okay, that's in 1 Peter 2, verse 6. We know that Christians are called that. We know that angels are called that, 1 Timothy 5, 21. Foreknowledge is not foreordination. So if you've got a piece of paper, write it down. Write the word foreknowledge. Put an equal sign and a line through it. You know how you do that not equal stuff? And then foreordination. Get this down first and then try to, you know, deal with whatever mysteries you want to. We are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, look, does God not know everything? As far back, there is no time with God. So far back as you want to go, he knows. As far forward as you want to go, he knows. It's called omniscience, omniscience, omni-knowledge, omniscience in, in theology. So he's elect. We are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He does not interfere with any person's human choice. And yet he does know who's going to get saved. And if you really want to unravel Romans chapter 9, here's, here's in Romans 8, okay? Come over to Romans 8 for a minute, real quick. Hold, leave you, your hand in there, First Peter. Go to Romans 8 and think about this. And I'm going to put it in terms that we can pretty much get. When you're using illustrations with people, just be a little careful. You don't leave some loophole in there that doesn't explain it. But watch this with me, okay? Verse 29. Now, verse 28 is, We know, and we know, that all things work together for good to them of God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did, would you mark that word, foreknow, verse 29. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, so God said anybody, get this, put it on your paper, anybody who will receive my son, I have decided ahead of time, I have predestinated them to be conformed to the image of my son, Jesus Christ. When you buy a ticket, we'll say to fly. You go down to the airport, you go up to the gate, you get on the plane. More than once, well, every time I've flown, they go, this plane's going from Detroit to Miami. If that is not your destination, please deboard the aircraft at this time. Why? Because once it takes off, 
barring any other stuff, it's going to Miami from Detroit. It's predestinated. Its destination is set. So when you receive Jesus Christ, you are destined to go to heaven and to be like him. That's your predestination. Your foreknowledge, back here in 1 Peter chapter 1. So he said, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be the conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and he called, he also justified, him, he justified, he also glorified. So you see that it's really simple. Now, if you wanted to appear to be really scholarly, you could literally confuse yourself into a, a fit, tie yourself into a knot. You say, well, how could God know who's going to get saved and not interfere? Because he's God. He's righteous. If you and I could tell the future and we didn't like it, we'd be tempted to interfere with it. God made Adam. God made Eve. God knew in his foreknowledge what Adam and Eve would do. And it says before the foundation of the world, he still did it because he also had his plan. He's going to have to give himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So he said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, keep going, through sanctification of the spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now, this is so cool because this is full of Old Testament scripture with New Testament application. It's Old Testament scripture with New Testament application. So look at the words he uses. This is so cool. Through sanctification of the spirit. That's a capital S. That's the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit in your Bible. So he sanctifies. When you sanctify something back in Leviticus, you set it apart. Leviticus 27, he told them how to do that. You set it aside. You set it apart as holy, as sacred to the use of God. You sanctify it. Why is that so important? Because if there's one thing that Christians have become either you could say afraid of or neglectful of, it's that sanctification. You should write you down a reference in your New Testament, in Paul's writings. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. Give you a minute to get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So Paul would weave Old Testament teachings and scriptures in there, and so does Simon Peter. I've often thought that Simon Peter may have very well benefited from some of Paul's writings or even his time spent with Paul. But it's God's will for us to live our lives sanctified unto him. Another reference, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor, and honor, 
not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. We should live, by virtue of following the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, we should live differently than the people that don't know God. I mean, one of the justifiable criticisms of Christians is the lack of sanctification in their life. Now, I didn't say sanctification was, you know, uh, whether or not what, what you wear necessarily or how you look, but however, I find it amazing, absolutely amazing that the world is more careful with how they present themselves than Christians are in their appearance and their attitude, sometimes even their vocabulary. So he said, through sanctification of the spirit, now watch, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ, grace be unto you and peace be multiplied. So you understand that, that even in the salutation, he's reminding them, as we call this chapter of salvation, begins our sojourn. And he moves into verse three and he said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when someone says that blessed be, it's a way of praising God. You're blessing them, you're praising them. He's saying, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he's lifted us from being dead. We were dead in Jesus Christ, dead in our sins. When you get saved, your salvation begins your sojourn and you are now alive. You were, now you are. We did a thing there a while back, back in 2015 called you were, now you are. And so he says that he did it by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, okay? So we're begotten, as in verse 23 of this chapter, of this passage, where he says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we're begotten unto a lively hope. When you look up that word lively in your English, it's brisk and vigorous and active. The resurrection is what steadied Peter's faith. Once he got hold of the resurrection and once the resurrection got hold of him, it steadied his faith. I, I'll say this to you. If there's, there are many things, but if there's one thing that has grounded my heart and mind for a lot of years, it's not just the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that he's gonna resurrect those that I've already had leave this world. In 1983, my little my baby brother, my youngest brother, 13 years younger, boom, out in front of the church, my dad pastored in California. He's killed. You know where he's at? <laughs> he's in heaven. He's already got to experience that lively hope, amen. And that has changed the way I look at anything in this world. And then my mother went and my brother went, my daddy went. Man, they're on the other side waiting. In verse four, which considered, continues the sentence, <clears throat> to an inheritance, now watch, would you mark it? Incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, comma. It's gonna go on. I gotta throw this in. You read some of this stuff and you've got all these punctuation. For example, verse three, runs all the way to the end of verse nine, that sentence. 
When I was in school, if you did what was called a run-on sentence, you had all this red ink on your paper. Well, I'm going to tell you, don't let anybody, I was going to say don't let nobody, but do not let anyone take away your Bible and the scriptures with red ink of some rule they made about how long a sentence can be. It can be however long God wants it to be. Amen. That's not, you say, well, God's not very educated. No, you're not. Because you're telling me you know more than God. That's just a free one. All right, verse four. To an inheritance, would you mark it down? Incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Throw this in real quick at, at verse five because we've got other stuff to look at, but last time started with the church age. One day is what the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. 4,000 years of the Old Testament was four days, okay? The 2,000 years that we've lived, it's just two days, and then we've got the millennium to come, which is the seventh day. So when you get towards the end of the week like this, you're in the last time. Now, this is a Thursday night. Bible study. Well, we're coming up on the end of the week. By the way, Saturday's the end of the week. It had nothing to do with Jewish time. Saturday is. Sunday's the first day of the week. We start our day that way, our week that way. So we're in the last time of this week. So when P Peter writes 2,000 years ago, there's nothing in jeopardy here of, of things being applicable, of them being genuine, of, of them being something we can count on when he says, ready to be revealed in the last time. So notice this. Inheritance, what? Incorruptible. It cannot, it cannot be corrupted. Your eternal inheritance, undefiled. Can't be anything wrong with it. Ready? Fadeth not away. It doesn't lose its power. It doesn't lose its potency. It doesn't lose anything at all. Isn't that amazing? And he says, who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, we'll come back to that in our next uh, time. But let me say this in closing today. Let it sink in that salvation begins your sojourn and you're going to be on a sojourn and we're going to talk about this sojourn in this passage. But the amazing thing about this thing, the most it's so amazing. One of the verses that's helped me for 40 some years is in verse five, who are kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed the last time. Kept by the power of God. God's gonna take care of you because he gave his son for you. And when you feel like everything is just, as we're gonna go through this heaviness and these trials and all this we're gonna talk about, this fiery trial, remember this. He promised that we'd be kept by the power of God. We'll pick it up in verse five and six next session.